0: Welcome back to the Uptime Punks and uh, good afternoon. Good evening. Good. Well, whatever it is. Noon. Let's call it. It's Friday the 13th and this is our 13th podcast. And Uh, we, and we planned
1: this from the very beginning that the 13th episode will be. On Friday the 13th. Exactly. So Halloween is over, but, um, and Christmas is near. And uh, this episode is about circular economy.
0: So we're going to define circular economy, but then also one of the really, I mean, the one thing I loved about this guest you brought, Tim, is. It's somebody that which is very well, actually, which is very interesting. We brought again an um, investment banker that went into tech tech. Right. And it shows you I, I kind of see a pattern there.
1: I also do Um, and I think she explains it later on um, what the pattern for her was and yeah quite interesting so nothing is impossible if you want to get into tech you still can do and
0: yeah we hope you guys enjoy the podcast and speak to you in a bit
1: So, welcome to the Uptime Punks podcast. Um, You perhaps are surprised to hear my voice uh, first, because it's normally Paul who does the intro, but no, this time it's me, Tim. And I have the pleasure and honor to welcome our guest today, which is uh, Ali Fenn from IT Renew. Good day, Ali.
2: Thank you, Tim. It's great to be here. I'm happy to join you.
1: Yes, so um, a little bit of context here. We're recording this on the 6th of November. It's 5 p.m. in UK. And uh, what time again in the States?
2: It is uh, just past 9 a.m.
1: Past 9 a.m. Joe so, Biden is winning the election. Yeah,
2: so... Uh, <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually into, you know, hour 72 of the day for, for most of us.
1: <laughs> okay, so how's your day looking so far?
2: Looking, it's looking brighter and brighter as the minutes go by.
1: okay 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 great so you had your breakfast already and the news on or um
2: we're all uh we're all feeling feeling georgia georgian and uh pennsylvania this morning too.
1: excellent okay okay i feel that so um but before we maybe get back to this particular topic um uh we have invited ali because uh we knew that she is a person who knows lots about um circular economy which is becoming a, a more and more important topic in the data center industry and uh, i think we are going to define what circular economy is today if we have the time and also see how this plays into getting data centers more sustainable and um, friendlier to our planet and the people who work in and around data centers so um but before we actually start with all this um, Paul, do you want to ask those questions or well, should I? Well, it's up
0: to you. I mean, I don't mind. I can ask the first one and you can ask the next one. All right, Paul. So, Let's <laughs> so just do it like this. Um, so we always ask the same questions. It's, um, there's just a little bit to get to know because um, it's quite funny because um, sometimes we can people can guess the generation where somebody was born in or how they lived in the teens or how they lived ecology is. college so we always start with, what was your first mobile phone? <laughs> ah, yeah, you're, people are going to be able to guess my generation quickly.
2: It was a Motorola Razor. Okay. Which and I then- still wish I had. I still love the feel of that phone.
1: <laughs> All right. We, have, we hear Motorola quite a lot. so. Um, yeah. Uh, but what 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 are the other phones normally? Like, I had a banana phone yesterday. Banana phone yesterday. It's coming back.
0: It's coming back. It, it's Nokia bring
1: back the banana phone. <laughs> is it? So Nokia 3210 is something we hear quite a lot. I don't know if you have those in the States. Like this, um, yeah, this um, finish is it? Uh, uh, yeah,
0: but basically when you have like a favorite football team, you could just change. Well, you have it now with mm-hmm. an Apple phone. You just get like the back cover. You can change it. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> It could like change everything, the keyboard and whatever it was, like all the older components. So, yeah. And you could play Snake. So. Yeah,
1: and basically indestructible. So you also <laughs> see memes on the internet where you have like um, Nokia's um, found on contra- construction sites years after, and they still like, you can switch them on, still ah. have full battery. Something not imaginable these years. And um, the question we asked... Uh, the the reason we ask this question for phones is that we actually think that all these old old phones they're a real good example of um simple and reliable technology that provides us with some sort of uptime um right so next on to the next question that is your question <laughs> that is my question <laughs> what was your first computer ali do you remember your first interaction with a computer
2: uh, you know, I remember my first interaction with a computer, but I wasn't fortunate enough to own it. It was at a, a a neighborhood friend's house when I was a kid. And I remember distinctly when the first Macintosh came out. So that's gonna really date me. But uh I remember going out, you know, being at the at the neighbor's house and being like, Well, what is this thing? like the, the little cursor is blinking up in the upper left-hand corner. And <laughs> um, so it wasn't mine, but it was probably uh well for sure the first one i ever came in contact with i think mine was my first one was probably some version of a word processor a little bit later than
1: that who knows right so what age was it when you like first started to have your own computer and and, and use it
2: uh really not until i was in college
1: right yeah that's Ooh. the thing right? I, I myself i didn't own a computer before i was like 16 17 years old yeah and besides the mobile phone uh, i only owed after um after being uh, having maturity so like being 18 years old not 21 in the states you were a late bloomer mate no no it's just no I, i think at that time it was still normal like in the early 2000s that um you don't own a mobile phone before you're like eighteen yeah. years old. No, you yeah. can be responsible. And um, I had my first my... flight later in nineteen
0: ninety five. You, was, I'm probably totally, a spoiled kid, mate.
1: So
2: <laughs> I'm clearly a lot older than you guys because I didn't get my first mobile phone until I was uh, employed after college in my first job.
1: Yeah. Okay. So college, uh, one station. Um, did you already know um, in college that you are going to end up working in IT and uh, circular um, economy? Or can you tell us some kind of steps and stations that got you where you are today before you then actually explain to us what you do yeah. every day?
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I didn't actually know that I was going to go into the tech industry at all. I, I started my career as an investment banker. Um, Actually, I started my career before that as an athlete, frankly. Um, uh, So I was a professional athlete first and then went back to college. And at that point, I didn't actually know what I was going to do. I just knew I wanted to do business of some sort. So I got a job as an investment banker to try to learn exposure to lots of different industries and companies. And I was fortunate enough to do that in San Francisco instead of in New York. And so the companies that we were working with at the time were all like the first internet companies Um, so, you know, rather than doing big old school deals in New York, we were doing deals like taking Yahoo public and, you know, like all, like all these super fun tech companies. And I very quickly from there, uh, I only stayed in banking a couple of years and then realized I was a a player, not a coach. And I wanted to be actually building stuff. So I jumped into the, into tech companies and spent the last 20 years in and around them, uh, in various, uh, different capacities since, since then. So.
1: So is that something? Uh, is that a usual path from investment banker to to tech, or uh, how how exactly? It's not the first one, by the way. because you're not the first one. Actually, that's the question. Um, you're not the first I'm person. We know another investment banker that went into crypto than a blockchain.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's, it's probably a not a typical path if you're going into. Like the engineering side of tech, right? If I was a hands-on developer or something, that would be a much less typical path. But from the business perspective, I think it is fairly common, right? People go into finance and then they see opportunities to go help build things, and that's in the tech sector is obviously an exciting thing. That you know, there's lots of money that pours into it, so there's pretty close. There's there's a, a close proximity to between you know bankers and financiers and venture guys and and tech companies. Right?
1: Right. So uh, you mentioned that you were working with some of the early tech companies in the Silicon Valley. I assume. Yeah. Is that perfect? Yep. Or- okay. So any any stories from from that era when you helped uh, big money uh, enabling big tech or
2: um, um yeah most it, it's interesting coincidentally I was actually on the hardware side of the the tech practice at at Montgomery Securities which was the bank I was at. Um, which, you know, software was, is, I guess, has always been the more sexy thing, right? But I find myself back in hardware now these days, which is sort of coming full circle. But, yeah, I mean, at that time, if you think now, like, we've come, uh, you know, full circle from proprietary OEM kinds of hardware back to ODM and contract manufactured hardware, and I remember we one of the one of the first big deals and follow-on offerings we I did was for Flextronics, which is now Flex, like the largest contract manufacturer in the world. So, some things um, the more they change, the more they stay the same. But um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting space. And we you know I, I, the first company I went to after banking was a an internet company, and we we did what most internet companies did in 1999. We went public, and the stock went from. 18 to 100 and then back down to five, right? I mean, so right. <laughs> right. We've had okay. some, yeah. some interesting successes and some uh, interesting uh, ups and downs like everybody out here.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you can perhaps uh, tell us your biggest fuck-up or um... <laughs> <laughs> language mate. they're gonna take us up music like this. that's the thing I, I don't know what Spotify uh, how it works I the put Spotify... a child friendly on it otherwise <laughs> oops okay sorry <laughs> maybe we cut that out yeah. later no but uh, are there some particularly low points or high points that you remember that you could share
2: um yeah well I'll tell you one low point which was that, that same era um I was part of a, a founding team for an early stage startup that was um, that was actually a, a very uh, interesting business um, focused on women's, women's sports and women's athletes um, in that very internet 1.0 kind of era. And, uh, but I think it was 2001, which you guys know what happened in 2001. And we were doing quite well. Uh, and we had an interesting acquisition offer uh, and we got greedy. We were, uh, we, 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 we 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 declined that offer and and suggested we needed more money Um, And you know within the next three months the the bottom had fallen out of the market and everything you know There ceased to be any more venture funding or any anything and we ran out of money and had to close shop which it's just you know so typical of like young greedy founders <laughs> like you know happens far oh, well. too often, right? But, um,
1: so you should have sold out earlier. Is that is that the lesson, or uh, is is well, the lesson to not sell out at all? Or uh, well,
2: the lesson lesson is sometimes a bird in the hand is uh, is worth something, right? right. Uh, sometimes sometimes you know you take less upfront and you actually enable a longer term play, right? So if you if you preclude the longer term play, then then yeah. your your opportunity to have the impact you want to have is totally minimized,
1: right? Okay, yeah, yeah great. So I've noted in my mind to come back uh, later on on, on these uh, two things you said, interestingly, um, the software-hardware gap. So we live in a time and we preach it at our events, actually, that software eats everything. And you coming from a hardware perspective, tell us. Or will perhaps tell us that this is not the case, but this perhaps later on. Yeah. And the second thing is for um, uh, the long-term run. So this this whole notion of yeah. um, uh, business being, um, of course, profitable, but with uh, regard to our um, to to our planet and finite resources. So, and yeah. and 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 now I'm at actually getting really close to. The main topic of today, which is circular economy. But before I would ask you, can I ask the question? How, Ali, do you define uptime? Um,
2: you know, I think the thing that comes to mind when I hear the word uptime is that things are available without thinking about them, right? You mentioned phones a bit ago, right? What what uptime means to me is that I don't have to wonder if something's going to work. I just expect it to be there, and I have confidence it's going to be there, and I don't have to worry about that. Right? It's not like when I turn on my iPhone, I don't wonder if I'm going to get a, a a you know a, an open line. Right? I, it's just going to work. Right? Um, and it's interesting, and we'll we will get more <laughs> into it, but it's interesting in the in the sense of data center infrastructure too. Right? Because we've come to a place in the world where we expect this stuff to be available all the time, whether it's personal stuff, social stuff professional stuff, we expect it to be available and when it's not, we there are, you know, sometimes major inconvenience and sometimes major consequence, right? So to me it's that it's that it's being it's it's expected to be there without he- even having to wonder, right? Whether it will be or not
0: I mean for me, well this is my personal humble opinion. I work on the industry, not in the industry, like we like to say myself a <laughs> Tim. Um, it's that I believe that data centers are data center professionals are just the people that are actually quite overlooked in, in, in terms of society in general, because if you think about it, data centers are actually the, I always like to say that the lungs yeah. of our society and people don't realize it because everything you, everything you touch nowadays, 99.9% will be somehow connected to some computer that's somewhere online with something and everything runs through a data center. And then it gets quite irritating because so when we did the australia podcast the other day it was like the first time i heard somebody that they're actually getting support from the government in order to build data centers because normally what you get from governments is that you get the resistance from the cities or from the planning authorities that they say oh no you guys can't build a data center here carbon footprint you guys are gonna and then if you think about it i mean ourselves we live in london in in march when the first lockdown hit and people had to go work from home it was complete power outage. We didn't have any internet for two days. And you're talking about one of the biggest cities in the world, I would say, and it's a major capital. And it's just like things like this just make you realize how fragile we are and how much we need these data centers. And that's why yeah. But one of the reasons we started the podcast was like, well, because people need to get to know more about the industry, we need to get to know more about the people. And then that's why it's great that there's people like yourself who are trying to... So yes, data centers are important, but there's a there's an ecological uh, there's a there's a nice way of doing it, which means that you can reuse the things which yep. are actually being used prior. But um, I want to ask the last question before we get into the renewable part, <laughs> which is um, you. I'm sure you had a lockdown. What was your uh, COVID gadget? So everybody gets a little gadget during the during the lockdown during the COVID time. For me, it was the smart bulbs. Some guys just covered Kindle because they couldn't go to a bookshop. We had another guy the other day who bought himself a bicycle. Uh, what was what was your COVID gadget <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Prime doesn't count because they made trillions out of COVID. But that's- yeah, right? Uh, I'll
2: give you. I'll give you two. I'll give you two. They both saved my sanity because I'm. Uh, I, I can't I can't stand to be not in motion right so so my low tech gadget is the balance board that I bought for under my standing desk so I can do my Zoom calls on the balance board <laughs> uh, <laughs> my high tech gadget is my my Garmin running watch which now does music and is solar powered so I can be out all afternoon with my Felix 6
0: I guess you got yourself a Felix 6 yeah,
2: yeah yeah so uh, the, the, being being able to be out, outdoors and active has saved my uh, and even with my balance board active in the, in the office while I'm trying to stay stable under my zoom calls is uh, <laughs> has has been my sanity saver uh, except for the fact that I also broke my ankle during COVID and had to have surgery, so but it's been a mixed bag.
0: <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's funny because yeah. So also the the Garmin, and then um, three days ago, it uh, three weeks ago actually, it stopped syncing with the Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. So my Spotify hasn't been able to. Update, which means my Spotify expired. So now I have to take my phone again with me while I'm going on no, run. Yes. So I'm, having, I'm having a rattle at Garmin every Monday. I hope somebody from Garmin listens to me now on the podcast. <laughs> yep, yep. Get on the podcast. You guys longer. ruined my weekend. Yep. Anyway, yeah. Anyway,
2: um, in and my Jaybird headphones. Those
0: that's the ticket. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that's 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 the thing. It just shows you even uptime counts when it comes to your running watch. Huh? Right. But, <laughs> um
1: yeah let's jump into what got you into the renewable yeah what got you into it Renew? can you quickly introduce yeah. your your role at it renew yeah. what you do on a day-to-day basis yeah. and um yeah yeah just who is ali fan director of it renew
2: yeah sure happy to so so i um you know as i, I mentioned i um I've been building tech companies all around enterprise and cloud infrastructure for the last 20 years but in in 2015 I kind of well I was very fortunate enough to be able to take a little bit of a break and so I took a year off and the purpose of that year was really to to just kind of step back and do a little check in on the path I was on. If I was doing the stuff I really wanted to be doing, you know, we all spend a ton of time and energy working and like, what was I, did I feel like I was on the right path? And I got you know, very, I'm, I'm personally super passionate about kind of all things ocean related. And I got really focused on the issue of plastics in the ocean and marine litter and what we're, you know, just our disposable society, um, which led me to circular economy. And so then I, you know, I, I I contemplated, I actually spent a few months in Honduras doing ocean research and being a dive master and researching whale sharks and marine litter and ecosystems and stuff. And then I, I very quickly realized that I was not going to do a mid-career t- career change to become like a biologist. But but I realized that I could combine those things and that I could build tech companies and I could build businesses and do business model innovation to try to adapt the world, world to a more circular economy, right? Um and so, so that's that, that. was a shift in my career. So I, I, kind of doubled down on the things that I know how to do well, which is build tech companies. But I wanted to focus it exclusively on circular economy. Um, and so I, I did some work in, uh, in more of the consumer space. Actually, more things like uh, you know consumer goods and packaging, that sort of thing. Uh, But I I got introduced to IT Renew, actually completely out of left field. It's one of the best-kept secrets in Silicon Valley here. I had never heard of the company, despite it had been around since the early 2000s, and so had I. I had never heard of it. Um, And suddenly it was the the merger of all those things, right? So IT Renew is a company that is fundamentally in the business of making the global IT hardware industry circular, and we can talk more about what that means, but, you know, we're – the, they, we start from a platform of of deep, broad strategic relationships with the hyperscale companies that are deploying the significant mass of all the IT equipment, and then that gives us this the the opportunity to do really interesting things with it, right? So I I suddenly found myself sort of serendipitously in a place where I can do circular economy, which I care about, in the industry which is you know the largest industry in the world, touches every single thing that we do in all aspects of our lives, and. Hello. yeah Yeah, Yeah. right and and requires this massive scale infrastructure that is also historically a very linear wasteful process and so it's you know i ended up at it renew as i said very serendipitously but it's it's uh it's been probably the most rewarding last two and a half years of my life from a career perspective just because it's that perfect blend of the experience i have and the passion i have and the opportunity to do something really impactful so uh, we can talk more about circular economy. I just, my role, you asked about my role. My role is I'm president. I oversee all of the revenue generating parts of the business. So we, I team very closely with our CEO who has more focus on the operation side of the business. And I focus on all the various different ways that we, we take equipment into market the way we team with our, our various partners, hyperscalers on the upstream side, downstream markets on the, on the other side. And, uh, it's a, it's a pretty fun gig. Cool.
1: So I. I- can I? Yeah. <laughs> I um, I was asking myself, so at IT Renew, do you actually produce hardware or how do you, you said getting hardware into the market. So what is, how do you get the hardware into the market? Do you buy it, assemble it, deliver it? Do you recycle? What, what kinds of um, business units are there?
2: Yeah. So... Um, let me back up and just, you know, I mean, you guys know what the, a circular economy is, right? Circular economy in a theory of...
1: Okay, to define it. Yes, that maybe then before we go further, yeah. let's define it. Yes. Yeah.
2: So it's helpful then to, con- to conceptualize what it means in the data center industry, right? So if you, if I just step back and from a theoretical perspective, in a circular economy, things are more
1: regenerative
2: by design, right? So you are creating kind of multiple cascading loops of life for assets and trying to keep them out of the waste stream, right? In a circular economy, recycling is the the least worst alternative. It is not the best alternative. It's not a good alternative. Um, And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to keep assets, whatever they are in their highest like utility value as long as possible and only then incrementally cascade them into slightly degraded life cycles as long as you can, right? So you're keeping things out of the various waste streams as long as you can, and you're trying to return minerals and materials back into production. Um, In the data center industry, what that means and what IT Renew does is it means that we take equipment out of first lifetime deployments, right? So think about major hyperscale cloud companies like Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Uber, Dropbox, you know, PayPal, Apple, all these guys. they all run equipment for some period of time often very unnaturally short lifetimes and then historically what would have happened when things were proprietary is that those things can't be really serviced or or you know recertified reconditioned remanufactured because they're very proprietary and so forth um and so they would just be harvested for the valuable components and then with the significant portion of the mass being recycled right so if you have a two pound rack you know, you take out the CPU, the memory, you sell those into secondary markets, and then you put 1900 pounds of a rack into the recycling stream, which is incredibly wasteful from both a financial perspective and a sustainability perspective. And again, that that's like the least worst, right? So you have upstream and then you have parts harvesting and recycling. In between that, now that we've gone to open hardware models and ODM models, suddenly there's a lot more interesting things. So think about IT Renew as sitting on this massive asset stream of a supply of of equipment, you know, it's approaching and and flying past a million servers a year very quickly that comes through our facilities. And now we can say, hey, let's take that rack, do some reconfiguration, reconcertification and sell it as a rack. So we're not producing anything new. In fact, we're deferring a lot of new manufacturing, but we're taking that rack and we're saying, hey, this thing has a lot of life left on it. Let's recertify it, let's reconfigure it for broader global markets and sell it into that. If we can't do racks, then the next little cascade is, well, storage and compute nodes resources. And those resources are needed in form factors other than racks. They're needed in edge environments. They're needed in, you know, things that go under desktops in telephone rooms, street lamp towers, whatever. So let's use those resources, do a little bit of remanufacturing a new enclosure and, and keep those again back in circulation in a second life. And only if we can't do that, then we still of course do as much as we can with the components and then we responsibly recycle everything. So what you have is this like cascading loops of life where things you know, where you're maximizing both the lifetime value from a financial perspective and the material value from a sustainability perspective. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast because it seems like you guys are um, in the midst of something that is so needed, not only in um, hardware and and IT, but like all over uh, the stuff that we consume, isn't it? So, um, but just to help me understand or our. Um, our, our audience as well and, and, and surely Paul as well um, when these assets come to you do you pay Facebook or does Facebook pay you or is this how do you get these assets do you need to pay for it or how does that process work
2: so we in all of the relationships we have with hyperscalers are a bit different but um, for the most part we provide data sanitization services and full, like everything starts with security, right? You can't bring assets out of data centers without bulletproof security. So everything we do starts with software that we have that integrates into people's decommissioning processes that helps with making sure that absolutely no data comes on anything. And there's a full chain of custody around that and all the data bearing devices and so forth. So we do that, that that part of the decommissioning process and then we do the operations and logistics part of the decommissioning process where we're actually physically removing equipment and we're bringing it into our facilities for processing in whatever ways we then sell the stuff into the downstream markets and we return a revenue share back to the hyperscalers right so everybody's interests are aligned right so we're if we were going to buy equipment then we would necessarily have to all the risk is on us we'd have to we'd we'd have to pay a a lower price right but if we're doing a rev share then it's in everybody's interest to, to maximize the value downstream right so it's it's kind of a you know the 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 incentives are very well nicely aligned for the right behaviors to happen
0: in the downstream markets.
1: Okay, okay, so that's, that's a the, win-win
0: scenario, basically. That's right? the
1: business model, and it's a win-win yeah. scenario. And yeah. and and uh, I mean, as far as I'm aware, I think it is a profitable, profit, profitable one as well. So um, congratulations <laughs> and and. <laughs>
2: Thank
1: you. <laughs> so circular economy, um, the hardware resale business. Can you give us kind of a? Um,
0: what's the hot seller what's what what what's your Big mac yeah, <laughs> yeah. what's
1: what's exactly and also like uh, what scale is this happening currently yeah. are you known yeah. uh, either in the market or are there more or is the is the movement slowly taking pace or how is it looking yeah so
2: you know it's always been possible to buy a refurbished server right you can buy 10 years ago or 20 years ago i could probably have bought a dell server that was refurbished small and medium businesses do this all the time what's what's different now is the scale right and the openness of it so in the old, in that that old refurbished model it's like well i could get 10 of something today and next quarter i could get maybe five of something else or maybe 100 of something else but i don't really know so i can't really plan and it's going to be just kind of thrown over the wall to me right it won't be Configured to meet my needs, it won't be supported, it won't be warranted, and so forth. And it's not predictable, right? So what we have now is we have a supply of equipment that's coming. I mean, our forecasts for what's the equipment coming out of the top five to seven hyperscalers within the next couple of years is that that stream of equipment will be more than the top five OEMs sell, right? So the scale is massive about the equipment that's coming out with tons of remaining life on it, and and it's coming out in these very homogenous, predictable based on our relationships with the upstream guys, we know what's coming over the next few years, right? So we can then say, we can then align that with say, for example, the needs of major enterprises, major telcos on the downstream side, tier two and three cloud service providers, because we have we can predictably say, oh, you need 10,000 of these every month for the next three years, no problem, we know that's coming, right? You need 100,000, you need whatever it is. Um, So there's the the scale and the dependable kind of homogenous natures of these fleets is what makes it viable in a, in, in a way that's that's viable for large downstream customers. Right. And these customers have to be big because we have to move like large chunks of equipment to large places. We can't do 10 servers at a time because it's just the the stream of equipment is just much too massive. Right. Um, And that's, that's really what it is, right. It's a, it's, it's an asset that can either be, Wasted or it can be turned into something, right?
0: I'm um, so I, I come from the automotive background. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be large lorries, so um, <laughs> you had, like large trucks. So we used to see like was sort of like a circular economy, yes. So basically, they would drive, let's say, 500,000 miles in central Europe, then they would move to, let's say, from central Europe to places like Turkey. Then from Turkey, it would go to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And then from the Middle East, it would move them down to Africa. And that's when they would be, let's say, 20 years old. And then they would have mm-hmm. 20 million miles on them, let's say, like this. So, do, do you see the kind of same pattern that you have, like, um, certain, let's say, certain hyperscalers um, that just say, okay, we all, like, let's say they have probably uh, agreements with Dell or uh, HP or whoever the big ones are. There's a couple out there, and um, they always need top of the art, new stuff in the, in the data centers. And then it moves from there after five years, or let's say they have a runtime of two years, three years, five years. Then you guys come in. Uh, I, I see you as a sort of like, let's say, a business consultant. Is that the right way of defining you guys? As a consultant or advisor or broker. Um, huh? broker. Or a broker, even. And then you guys pass it on, and then it starts the same chain movement. Because I'm sure that in, like, let's say somewhere far in the Far East, or let like, let's say in Africa, or um, let's say if you go to places like, uh, let's say even Congo, in Congo they can't afford probably to build a data center, which is uh,
1: hence there are uh, reruns coming from there. From there, which is which is another which is another bizarre. Um, um,
0: did you see fact, like the same
1: so. same kind
0: yeah. of like movement patterns it's, that it goes through? But is it? How does it work? Like, how many years are in between? And like, where does yep. it all origin from?
2: Yeah, it, it is very similar. So it's it's there. There is there is exactly that geographic kind of a an opportunity, right? There is definitely um, an opportunity, a huge opportunity to take some of this this second life equipment, circular equipment, and bring best in class equipment at you know, 50% of the cost into places that are much more budget constrained and and have to do a lot more with a lot less, right? So that is a huge thing. We've done some work in Africa. We're doing some work in Southeast Asia, some work in India. Um, right. That is for sure an opportunity. But there's also a, a, a primary market opportunity, which is just, you know, the public cloud guys taught the world that you should just be able to, to sign up for a t-shirt size infrastructure. I need small, I need medium, I need large and turn it on, right? And you should be focused on outcomes, right? I need like, I need some number of users. I need some number of containers. I need some number of cores, but not, I need this CPU part number and this NIC part number and this DIM and that whatever, like that's not, that's a waste of uh, IT brain power, right? You should be just performance per dollar, right? Whatever the performance is and just turn it on. Now, obviously people are not everybody has moved en masse to that, but there's a ton of people for whom the latest and greatest doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't be like, why are you paying for you know Intel's TikTok when when it's no longer ticking and talking, right? I mean Moore's Law is dead. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it makes sense. that 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 like you can cascade equipment into very primary Telco environments, um, edge environments, enterprise environments. I mean, these this is not like old, outdated stuff, right? I mean, the first lifetime is often three years, and technology treadmills. This it's designed to run for nine years, right? And especially with things like what's happened with Moore's law. I mean, the it, the generational advances are just like not that interesting anymore. GPUs mm-hmm. being the exception, right? But but we often with when when we do recertification, we'll sometimes pull in new GPUs, right? So the idea here is use as much recertified content as you can, because that lets you bring it to market at like 50% better cost, lower TCO. But in, we have to integrate new storage media. We sometimes have to put in new GPUs, whatever it is. So we, it's the fact that it's open is what enables us to make, to make it useful and usable by the broader markets, right? And so, you know, three years, another three, we warranty stuff for three or six years. So, and the goal is let's make it run for its full lifetime somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's customizable. So you you can say, okay, I have that part which is like from twenty years ago, but I want to have this particular part like brand brand new. That's possible.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're not doing anything that's twenty years old, right? This stuff is all. Think about the, think about it as certified pre-owned BMWs with five thousand miles on, right? You're from the car industry, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's like this is what it is. It's like it used to be. You could buy a brand new car, or you could go to like the used you know lemon shop like joe's pit stop on the corner right but now you have this massive certified pre owned market where you expect talk about uptime when you buy a certified pre owned bmw you expect it to drive exactly the way that a new one drives you expect it to be warranted you expect the wheels to work the engine to work the seat belts to work the windows to work you just expect it to work right and that's what that's exactly what this market is it's proven hyperscale technology normalized to performance no compromise to quality or performance right that's the thing about sustainability it can't be can't be any less good can't be any more expensive it has to be no compromise right then we can win in sustainability right?
1: okay yeah so in terms of um, this whole geographical question so we we spoke like Paul said it briefly before you you'd perhaps then um, deliver, uh upcycled i call it upcycled yeah. hardware to 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 regions with larger budget constraint as you said um, and and we know that some of those are actually the producers or the largest producer of, of of very essential material for the the stuff they they then buy right so data centers we're talking about rare um, earth materials i think that's the correct expression in english yeah. so in terms of this do you do you feel that there is some kind of, um, I mean, you could then uh, morally or ethically argue that there is some kind of bizarrery going on here? Or do you think that in, in a, in a, in a long term um, approach like social justice or, or whatever, or global justice, this should actually not be the case? um or or do you think that there is something that circular economy can contribute to yeah that's actually the question i want to ask do you think that circular economy can not only contribute to um the ecological sustainability but perhaps to also more um, economical justice
2: 100 100 i'm glad you asked that question um i mean look this Everybody talks about sustainability in the data center industry about renewable energy, right? And that's important. It's super important. We have to get greener grids. It's super important. But this physical material thing is real, and it has, as you're suggesting, very real costs to the to some of these developing markets on the front and on the back end. So on the front end, a lot of the way these minerals are mined is very tragic and toxic and costly to the local population. And on the back end, same places have become massive e-waste dumping grounds right where we throw away stuff because because california has a zero waste ban right don't everything just leaves here in boats or used to anyway right um so so yeah we we have been the the technology industry has had negative consequence for a lot of these regions on both ends right and we as a as a sector we produce you know back to your your lorries right Uh, as a sector we produce over 50 million tons, not the data center, but technology in general, 50 million tons of e-waste every year. That is that is 18-wheel trucks full from New York to Bangkok and back every year. It's a massive amount of e-waste, right? And so a lot of these places have been now, thankfully, have e-waste ban, banned, so you can't send stuff, which is great. But I think there's a stat coming out of Europe that three out of five Um, shipments inspected had contained illegal e-waste in like 2017 or 18, right? I mean, it's still happening. So anyway, the the opportunity with this, oh, there's another piece, right, on the social justice piece, right? There is a universal development, uh, a sustainable development goal with the UN for universal access, right? We all benefit if everybody's online. From a GDP perspective, an education perspective, a healthcare perspective, we all benefit if everybody's online but we're still at about 41% of the world that's not online. And there are some estimates that say, we're $100 billion of infrastructure budget short to be able to achieve universal access. So what if now instead of having these places be e-waste dumping grounds, they're actually the recipients of best in class hyperscale technology at half the cost. And you can put together some really interesting routes to market and partnerships to bring infrastructure in for way better economics and suddenly what you've done is what happened with Africa and the cell phone thing. Africa didn't build out a landline infrastructure. They skipped that. They said, forget it. So why don't we skip this very expensive, proprietary, you know, vendor lock-in, controlled, you know, closed source world and say, no, 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 no. You guys get the best thing. You get to do the way, do it the way Facebook does, the way Google does, the way Microsoft does. You get to do it now ahead of some of your peers in the private sector in, in the United States and Europe. You get to do it now and you get to do it cheaper. Right. No, you're not no longer an e-waste dumping ground. We just let you leapfrog, helped you to leapfrog way forward. Right. So I think there's a huge opportunity but that that touches the developing markets very much in this more inclusive, you know, economic way as as in, in addition to the sustainability piece.
1: OK, great. So um, do, do you actually see any of these? Um, I mean, you talk about the cell phones, which I completely agree. So... Um, for those who don't know, my my wife's um, grown up in Congo, and she um, all the family is heavily relying on these cell phones for for banking, for for they don't own computers, right? Yep. And uh, it's so funny to see how this um, kind of shapes the whole uh, nature of interaction uh, we in Europe um, have have then with them. Uh, on a daily basis. So yeah, definitely, LeBarra all over the place, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, <Yeah. laughs> that's the thing. And then money, money transfer is another, another yeah. big thing, um, uh, which, which is, um, which is becoming a backbone of, of the, um, of the, how you say, informal gray in yeah, economy. Informal, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. But in terms of, um, uh high-class hyperscaler um infrastructure at half the cost do you have any examples like do you do you know of projects which um have um which have um achieved this this kind of online thing in 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 any region which we consider to be um developing markets who's
0: the most proactive
1: or who's the most proactive yeah who's
0: the one who's the most proactive i know that uh, i think that apple is trying to do a lot of things with their iphones but they take the old ones back um give them to museums to schools yeah Yeah. Uh, or original
1: actors i I don't know microsoft
0: does a lot of things as well um i heard but you know it better than anybody so yeah yeah. who's one leading (laughs) leading well
2: we're I, i i mean i'll i'll give my one marketing statement, which is that we're leading it. Um, we, our relationships with the hyperscalers, we, we are the only company that's doing this, that, that has the ability to do this at any scale right now. Um, there, as I said, there are people who sell refurbished HPE and Dell servers, but, but again, and that's an interesting business if you're just sending a, a you know, a couple here or a couple there, right? But if you're trying to de- deploy massive infrastructure, you just can't do it that way. Um, so it, but it's early, right? I mean, we, we do, we, we, we sell massive hundreds of millions of dollars of components and so forth every year. And that business is growing very quickly. The solution side of the business is also growing very quickly. It's much earlier, right? We've just started this, this is our first full year in the market with the solution side of the business. But we've talked publicly about one project in, in Africa, um, that we've done, which is, uh, bringing, I think they're bringing educational programs and services to like 700,000 people, something like this. I mean, it's a it's a significant program, and it's all based on open on, on our recertified open hardware. So so it's starting to happen. The other thing that I'll say is, um, we're starting to see, for example, uh, and I can't name specific names, but we're starting to see some of the major like a couple of the major global telcos that are doing a ton of work across uh, lots of these regions um, with with circular mandates. So I'm going to have an RFP, and if there is a recertified option available, you must look at it, right? And so it doesn't mean it's a mandate that you have to buy a, a recertified option, but these are like, you know, top five global telcos, right? So we're starting to see people who are saying, no, 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 we care about this. We don't believe that because it's second life equipment that it's any worse. We believe that you know the engineering and the solutions work that goes into recertification lets this stuff be every bit as good as what we need and we care about it from a sustainability perspective and and why the heck wouldn't we do it from a financial perspective as long as it works right so I, we're seeing um, we're seeing positive signals on you know from very big players starting to, to help drive some of this stuff
1: okay that's great back to the data centers what do you see the data center market evolving towards in the next five years 10 years what do you think has I mean obviously the elephant in the room um besides the American uh U.S elections <laughs> is the coronavirus and uh we all know that it has had an impact on digitization and um uh, and will have uh, even more yeah. so on the on and the speeding it, and up, actually, speeding up. it up actually speeding it up and and also but on the data center market so for example um yeah. uh the in in europe we know that many more will be built regardless yeah. of regulations of yeah. uh, space constraints and and so on but what's your perspective on, yeah. on that
2: it is absolutely speeding it up uh, i mean never has there been more urgency around digitization and and infrastructure right Um, and you know the scale is immense i I often talk about like our heads in the our heads in the clouds right people think it's not it's no longer sitting in my it's no longer making noise in the room next door to me so oh i don't think about it anymore but the scale of the infrastructure that is being deployed um just look at the the wall street money going in private equity money going into data center companies new ones every day right Um, it's massive. And so, but I'm, I am cautiously optimistic, frankly, I think, um, I think we are seeing a move among the largest players away from where they were a couple of years ago, which was I'm going to tell a good renewable energy story by mostly by buying off credits, right, which doesn't, it isn't a, a, a perfect answer, they're going to actually use renewable energy, right, that's a, a positive thing. But we're also seeing Really interesting innovation, especially in Europe, frankly, which is way ahead on all this stuff um, in building materials. Right, so there's a data center in Boden, Sweden, that's built out of wood. There's another one, Eco Data Center, that just did a big deal with with BMW and with H and M. Um, that's built out of out of wood, has almost zero scope three content in it, and. These places are starting to do heat recapture. They're turning. they they're 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 quantifying the full carbon impact of that data center. They're using 100% renewable technology, so the use phase is zero. So then the carbon impact is: how did the building get made? How did the IT equipment get made? What happens to you know? How am I? Um, you know what 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 heat pellets am I saving downstream? Right? I mean, it's like, you know, we're seeing I think really interesting innovation um, that. That is essential, right? Because we're the, the data center industry, the technology industry is is on the wrong path, right? As a as a global community, we're trying to reduce emissions, right? But the data center industry is going from four to eight percent, which means as everybody else is coming down, we're having an outsized impact, right? Um, and and it's only going to worsen with more compute needed by things like AI and all of the the five G stuff and all of the compute intensive work that we're doing, right? Talk about COVID. Well. You know genomics requires immense amounts of co- compute to solve these things right and so so we're we ha- and that's not going to stop right it's that is inevitably going to march on forever but it requires that you know we think really differently about how we build data centers how we run data centers how we reconstitute data centers and and everything that goes into them right so we're just doing a piece of this puzzle which is the it piece but there's a whole piece, right? Let's return. We, we've got one partner we're working with that is returning, putting data centers next to greenhouses so that they can heat the greenhouses and grow the food. We have another one that's returning heat into the municipal grid, right? I mean, there's there's like really interesting stuff happening. So I'm I'm optimistic. I'm and we're also seeing, frankly, the hyperscalers are really putting their money where their mouths are. Like I've been at IT Renew two and a half years, and we have seen a sea change. In what these guys are doing, I mean, look at Microsoft's statement. It's going to go to carbon negative and take out the equivalent of all the carbon they've put into the universe since 1975. That's a mm-hmm. massive statement, right? And they're they're putting billions of dollars into it. So I, think, mm-hmm. you know, we are we we have this sort of toxic, dirty underbelly currently. But but I think that that there's a lot of important constituents with a lot of money that are paying attention to making sure that we don't end up in a space where we're out of minerals, right? And we have to we're already mining the deep sea beds. You said mine Mars. Like we we gotta not do that, right? We gotta we, gotta, we have to find a better way to say yes.
1: So we we, we won't be we, we won't uh, be doing yeah. that. Now I mean, yeah, we we can't advance too far on the elections yet, but anyways, um no, <laughs> so it's it's also a political question in my opinion, yeah. right? So where does the political will um of nations and communities and 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 and, and leaders go? Um maybe let's not get too deep into that but I just wanted to add this dimension too because yeah. actually the regulations still play a big part regardless yeah. of commitments yeah. hyperscaler so uh, besides politics uh, polit- politics and, and hyperscaler what else do you think it would need to what else do you think it takes to to get to the triple zero data center um yeah. as, as like the standard yeah.
2: I think I, I think it takes more of a whole holistic kind of mind mindset shift right we have to have we, we have to push further so that people aren't that people know that when I'm like you know every Netflix movie I download and watch on my phone you know has a, a significant impact right and 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 it's so out of sight out of mind right that we I think it it takes politics, but it also takes incentives, right? We need to we need to make visible the cost of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, right? There was a company called Opower that's a massive, massive, multi-billion-dollar, immensely successful public company that started with one simple idea, which was well, on a, on people's neighborhood electric utility bills, we're going to put a little chart that shows how you do compared to your neighbors. And guess what? People's energy consumption went way down because it's right. pressure and i think right. we have to make we have to make this issue issue so much more visible it's like back to my plastics in the oceans you know passion focus area it's like nobody can see it i sit here in Sausalito, california and i look at the ocean and it looks beautiful you don't know fish are all dying and that there's plastics everywhere and microplastics and i think you know part of this is we just need to tell this story we need to get the data out there we need people every one of us to understand that there's a consequence to all of this technology And we need to like, we need to be demanding of our vendors and our partners and our suppliers. Like, what are we doing here? Like, let's, is there a better way? Right. I mean, there's, there, there are better solutions, right? There, there are interesting things happening. Fairphone in Germany is a very interesting thing. It's like, it's a modular replaceable repairable kind of infinite lifetime kind of a smartphone. Right.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think the incentivize um, element that you named is, is very um, interesting because there are so many elements to it as well in terms of how do you incentivize people in terms of how do you I think the word is nudging mm-hmm. uh, the beautiful example that you gave of uh, showing neighborhoods how they do compared to their neighbors um, it, it also takes visualization of like making it visible right so um Graphs that show green bars, red bars, um, and all that kind of stuff. There's an example that comes to my mind that is actually like less on the consumer side, but more already on the um, uh, energy and data center side. Which is, I think, Vattenfall and Microsoft the partnership. Yeah, having,
0: zero carbon footprint data yeah, center. And and
1: a, m- a monitoring tool which shows the data center in real time. Yeah. um Their uh, their energy consumption and and what and how much of this energy is actually coming from sustainable or renewable yep. don't, don't, don't nail me on the, the correct uh wording but like the the, yeah. the amount of green energy they yeah. uh, consume and that's that stuff that um that, that blew my mind when i when i read it and said hank why don't i have this in my in my home i mean everybody's and that's the thing right everybody has smart homes yeah where they have like uh they clap twice and the light goes on and alexa does everything and the fridge is always full because somebody like an ai ordered it but i mean this whole incentivizing element is in my opinion still missing way too much yeah um i don't know uh, how could you responsabilize the providers of such consumer electronics um to 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 build this in i mean it's the same amazon who commits to uh, to greener, um, to greener IT 10. infrastructure, but on the consumer side, perhaps could do, I'm not accusing Amazon, of course, but um, by the way, if you're hearing this, come on the podcast anyways. Um, <laughs> if you want to make a real statement. Come if on you want to make a real statement. Um, no, but and then on the consumer side could could do more to actually yeah. do exactly what you've just said, incentivize people to, to live a, a a more sustainable life, and we, which, 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 in return, will be happier as well. I mean, but Tim, yeah. uh,
0: my my, per, my my humble personal opinion is that we need to. I think our it's our duty for the generations to come after us to educate them, because yeah. um, what we're seeing now is the results of but what, the thing is not I, just our parents, grandparents, but also what we ourselves, what we have already created, which is the plastic waste, whatever it is. I think it's for the generations to come to learn how to be better with nature and with earth and with the environment and simple things like teaching kids ready in kindergarten to, if you have a plastic foil, you put it in this bucket. If you have this, you put it here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it comes simple things like um, now when you go, for example, to a lot of coffee shops or restaurants that will give you uh, biodegradable spoons and this just shows you how everything comes back into the cycle. And I think it's more like an educational process than anything. And sometimes you don't start from the top, you need to start from the bottom. You need to go back and say, okay, hold on. Yes, on the top is really hard to, it, it, it has. It takes big changes. And like Ali said, it takes billions of dollars for, I mean, it's it's remarkable. Microsoft makes a commitment like this and a statement like this, but till they reach that point is a very long road. But the change that we as an individual can take already is that we speak to the people that are the closest to us. That can be our nephews, our kids. This can be our friend, our next-door next door neighbor. And this is how you uh, start change.
1: Yeah, yeah. definitely. Education. Anything to add on that education?
2: Yeah, yeah I, I think a couple couple observations. One is one is this notion of, you know, on, on the... More formal education side one of this notion of full-cost accounting, right? We it's it, it, things are Obscure to most people right every I, I I could I bet if I walked outside and asked 10 people right now um, If an electric vehicle is better than a gas a, a, a Diesel vehicle they would say that well, of course it is right, but nobody is quantifying the fact of what it took to make those Tesla lithium-ion batteries and how much embodied scope three carbon went into that and the fact that that you're gonna turn that car over after three years and that battery is gonna get recycled, right? It's a massive cost, right? I mean, I don't know the numbers on on uh, the, the car batteries specifically, but in the IT space, you know, 75% plus of the carbon impact comes from everything that happened before you ever turned it on. It's way more what you run it in a data center right so it's that manufacturing piece that's so important and people don't have any idea right so that's what what, that's what we're trying to do in the data center space is educate people about the fact that that that's a massive piece to look for improvement but it's true you know and it's true with everything right full cost accounting it's like okay well like, uh, like, how do we quantify the impact, the the full impact of something, right? Whether it's a plastic spoon or whether it's a vehicle or whatever. I mean, heck, electric scooter batteries last an average of thirty days. Those things take an immense amount of energy to manufacture, right? We're, we're, but people think it's an electric scooter. It's good for the environment. It's like, well, not if you're building a new one, tra- throwing it in the garbage every thirty days. But anyway, that's my my, I think the visibility, the education is critical. But I also, to your point, Paul, about You know starting with the people that we know and everybody doing the right things um i i've met tons of people who are like ah it doesn't really matter like what it doesn't really matter if i recycle that or whatever right but Mm -hmm. it, it raises for me my one of my favorite parables which is there's a kid walking along a beach and there's been some tide that came in and there are like thousands of starfish all on the beach and they're all sitting there in the sun and they're gonna die right And there's a kid, he's walking along and he's picking up starfish one by one and he's throwing them back in the, in the ocean. There's like millions of starfish. And this old man says to him, ah, kid, it doesn't matter. You can't, yeah, it's not going to make a difference. And he goes, made a difference to that one. (laughs) It's like, same same deal. Like, okay, well, if each person does something, it is going to help. And it is going to have this compounding effect where the more people see people taking an action, then you're kind of get some peer pressure and you do the same thing.
1: Right. So, that, do you yeah. do you think that I mean, we, we talk about incentivizing and in education, but we t- we didn't talk about reward and punishment. Anything to add on here? Because you need <laughs> yeah. to. Well, no, if, if, if for uh, incentive, you know there's punishment? always a remark, I, I tell reward you and a punishment. punishment. Do you want. My, I think neurological studies have shown that rewards work better than punishment, but I don't know. But I don't this know is the not a stage theory that.
0: in my eyes. The punishment we getting at the moment is COVID. That's the punishment of us taking so much care I mean, of our the own planet. The thing is,
1: the punishment is already happening because you have climate change. Yeah. And, yeah, um, it's a combination
0: it's... of everything. This is this is our. You said already one time. I'm going to say this one now. It's our fuck up, and it's up to us yeah. to fix it. We have to fix it fast. And I think it's remarkable what you're trying to do with your company, with the business, what you guys are doing. And I wish there was more people who would think that way and uh, try to bring some green, real green, into uh, the data science industry. Right. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Um, I think we... Yeah, there is, there is like, I see the clock ticking, there's an hour, but I mean, we still have time, Ali. So if you, if you want to, uh, um, I would
0: say some last words. No. Yeah, if
1: you want to get to your last final statement or uh, open up another topic, up to you. <laughs> Otherwise, let's come back in a couple of weeks or months. and then I mean, talk, I would love
0: to um, stay in touch and um, definitely if next year, if it allows us physically to make yeah, yeah. at some point friends. I want to put you on a panel, and uh, I, I just looked it up while you were speaking about the Tesla car, and uh, because things like this make me think, and um, you have a point, and um, I'm when if you're going to come to Frankfurt, I'm going to bring you one of these boys who built these cars, mm-hmm. and I'm to put you guys on the panel, <laughs> I I and, I and, and I would be, uh, I would love to host a panel for you. No, no, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, but yeah, the last word is always with our guests. So um, the stage is all yours. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you guys for having me. I've enjoyed the conversation. I love you can tell I I care deeply about this stuff. But you know, Paul, I just actually I'll just follow end with saying, following up one thing that you just said. Uh, you know, observing, t- coming, talking about bringing green into the data center industry. It's it's bringing green in both ways, right? So this one of the things that I am most excited about is that I'm. A capitalist I'm a, a trained economist right and I like you know I'm not like a, a tree hugger hippie right and and those things used to be in conflict right it used to be that you could either do the sustainable thing or you could do a, a financial oriented thing but you couldn't do both they were in conflict and we're the opportunity we have right now and I don't know that it's true in all industries but in this industry the opportunity we have is that the, to maximize the sustainability of IT equipment is exactly the same thing that maximizes the financial value. So we have this this triple win, right? So if you take a rack of equipment out of a data center and you sell that thing as a recertified rack, the upstream guy, he gets way more money for that than if he harvests, than if we harvest components and recycle stuff. So he's the hyperscalers are motivated. they get more money. On the downstream side, you have customers that want that hyperscale technology. They haven't been able to get it because they're not, they are not—they don't have thousands of engineers and billions of dollars. And so suddenly they have access to this best-in-class technology, and they get it at half the cost. So their budgets just got twice as big. So they're super motivated to make it happen. And then, oh, by the way, we just deferred all the new manufacturing. All that 75% of the carbon of equipment, we just deferred it, right? We at least kicked the can down the road a bit. And so that from a sustainability perspective, we all win. And so it's like I think about it's it's green it's green environmentally but it's also green it's dollars right it's like real and to me that's like that's the opportunity here is like why should this be hard like it shouldn't be as hard like to get people to think about it because it just makes sense right now it doesn't make sense for all use cases that that would be naive but for a lot of stuff it's pretty low hanging fruit right so anyway hopefully people hear this and get compelled and we'd love I'd love to talk about it to any link you guys
1: want excellent we will definitely uh re-invite you sometime with a tesla person i have nothing to add and uh thank you very much for the time and insights you gave us today and i leave you now to re um i I'll leave you now to your day who has actually only just started we are in the evening now in the uk and i believe what you will do is actually have a very close eye to the American uh,
2: selection. I've got a live, a live feed of the vote counting going, so <laughs> Okay. <Yeah.
1: laughs> Excellent. Um yeah, thank you very much. Um it was really nice having you. Paul.
0: Um yeah, it was a great pleasure and um thank you so much. And yeah. Um, hope to see you soon and hope to speak to you soon again. And I will bring you that little panel, um, as we discuss. Excellent. All right. Uh, Thanks guys. <laughs> Wow, that was a great episode. Um, I mean, we take a lot of things away from this. Um, It might have gotten a bit too controversial, but then again, we're the Uptime Punk, so there's nothing to Why was it too controversial? Well, I think it's... I mean, I think you are very passionate and I'm very passionate. I'm very passionate about um, looking after our planet, looking after the environment and making sure that we do our duty as a citizen of this world to educate the generations to come about how to not make the mistakes that we have done. Right. And you're very passionate about exploiting um, countries which are maybe economically not in the best place at the moment, I'm, I'm, not,
1: I'm not passionate about it. I'm, I'm actually passionate about seeing this. Well, then again, I yeah, I see what you mean. It is political, but um, yeah, that's but, but it one thing is for sure now. So
0: when we recorded the episode, um, the polls were not really out yet 100 percent. But yes, we can confirm now Joe Biden is President, the next president, 46th president of the United States?
1: Uh, I have no idea. Is it not the 47th? Anyway, so...
0: <laughs> it's the same thing. Well, I, I'm not sure if Trump counts. So, um, But yeah, maybe th- Trump does count for the people out there that support Trump, because you always find some people there. Yeah, um, I
1: mean, in the end, it was... Uh, it would, he was elected and he was not elected. And uh, I guess the process was as democratic as it could be uh, yeah. within the system, within the given system. So yeah anyways I I think we changed the subject one of the key takeaways for me um, here is the need of not only the mindset to um, think sustainable but also and we very briefly spoke about this the the resource that you need and I guess one of the very important factors in tech uh, when it comes to sustainability is the financial aspect so if nobody invests in green technologies or in green data center or in Ali's case in um, hardware recycling or um, circularity, then uh, the mindset is is almost useless. And there was one question I forgot to ask. Do you remember which one, Paul? I don't remember. The question I forgot to ask was um, about the rare earths like this, this whole chemical elements oh, yes. that are in yeah. the hardware yeah. and who are currently very, 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 very difficult to recycle and by consequence are almost not recycled at all, which actually makes the whole thing so um, so unsustainable, isn't it? Same well, with our cell phones. But, but this, I
0: think this is something for another...
1: This is something for another episode, but <laughs> maybe a little teaser here because after the recording, I briefly spoke about uh, about this with Ali and she said, the thing, the good thing about it is that there is currently loads and loads of money poured into research and how to make these um, rare earths. So if you're
0: somebody that works in a research department yeah, or in a company that does this research, please reach out to us. Yeah. We would love to have you here. I don't know if it
1: is material science or chemistry or I think it's a whole lot of expertise that needs to come together there, but we're definitely interested in Yes, yeah.
0: and then also um, we want to give you guys a little update. So uh, myself and Tim and the team we had this week, um, our Big Data AI World Online event, which was an absolute success. We, I mean, unique attendees grew by 40%, which is really great. Yeah. and um, yeah we want to thank all the people that came and spoke and made it such a smooth process we really had some really great speakers some great panels and if you guys are listening to this and you feel like you missed it it was on 11th on 12th of november you can still register and the content is still going to be available for you till end of the year so um just have a look on it go on um or big data Frankfurt or big data world dot or whatever the address is. just put big data world Frankfurt in the search bar and then but brain is not functioning properly because we work like 15 hours a day the whole week so um, so yeah go on the homepage check it out um, you can still access the platform look around and I'm sure you're gonna find something where it's gonna be eye catching for you in terms of content and. Yeah, and uh, me and Tim are getting lined up now because we have some really, really great guests for you guys lined up in the next five weeks to make sure that once you go into the Christmas break, there is going to be Uptime Punks episodes coming out. So um, we're pretty much fully stocked to get you over the new year. And even during the holidays, you're going to be able to listen to some really crazy episodes. We have some people. To give you some highlights, we have some people coming from... India, we have some people coming from Germany, of course, then we have some people coming from France We have some people coming from the US. So the punks are taking you all over the world again and don't forget to subscribe and By the way, we don't have 19 listeners from Moscow now We have 32 subscribers from Moscow. <laughs> so Radio Moscow <laughs> You're listening over there,
1: but um, yeah tip. Yeah, anything you want to add? Or? Yeah, shout out to all the um, people that drive the tech sector. Shout out to all the researchers if um, if you are working on the sustainability projects or anything that makes um, our infrastructure more efficient. We want to talk to you. So, see you soon and enjoy. I think Thanksgiving is coming up and um, many other holidays anyway. So, it's that period of the year again where you just... Yeah, go comfy, sit back, relax, and listen to podcasts. Yeah, take care. (laughs) Cheers, Cheers. Bye.
0: Bye.